Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Is it New Year's? No, it's our 100th anniversary. Our 100th episode. Well, I feel like it's my 100th anniversary. And now you just blasted everybody's ears. <laughs> I always love to celebrate. She's a big celebrator. And most of you know we often celebrate with you on New Year's Eve, but this time it's because of our 100th episode. Hey, this has been quite a trip. And it's not over yet. <laughs> yes, dear listeners, this is the RV Navigator and I'm the co-pilot, and who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and we are here uh, enjoying August of 2013. After having started the RV Navigator podcast in February of 2006. Can you believe it? No. It's been a long time, 100 episodes. Why, did, that, why did we start that? And we have not missed a month. And sometimes I had to do two in one. I know. Month. Well, that's why how we got to 100. Oh. Because actually that's only 84 or something. In months. <laughs> in dog years. <laughs> in dog years. This podcast is well over 100 years old. And I hope that many of you listeners have been with us since the beginning in 2000. What did I say? 2006. And if you haven't and you have no life, you can go back and listen to the beginning. <laughs> yes, because they are all archived on our website, ready for you to listen to at a moment's notice. <sighs> so why did we do that? Well, I had read about podcasts at one time, and I thought, well, the RVing industry did not seem to have much of a of a presence, internet presence yeah. at that time, so I decided to do one for RVing with a technology bent to it, <laughs> as you probably have noticed. Because my memory is that I hardly even knew what a podcast was at that point. Yeah, and, and, and iTunes was new, yeah. and so we had uh, listed our podcast on iTunes, and it has become a tremendous hit since. <laughs> well, it's made us many new friends, both many new, that's really face-to-face true. That's really true. and over the web. Many face-to-face -face friends, and... We've gotten a lot of great comments, and that's, of course, why we do it. And we appreciate you sending us comments and keeping in touch with us and telling us what you're doing and Commenting on by. iTunes. Commenting. Oh, uh, yes. We would appreciate it if you'd uh, make a comment on iTunes. There hasn't been one in quite a while. And we know that you want to tell others how you, much you enjoy the RV Navigator. So are we done celebrating? Well, I don't know. You probably want to do the horn. Oh, oh, oh. All right, that's enough. I knew she was not done celebrating. <laughs> and after the podcast is over, she will be celebrating much more. In 2007, we bought our motorhome. Right. So, so at the we time we started this, we, we were, were fifth-wheelers. Fifth wheel, right. And before that, we were travel trailer. And before that, we were... In a conversion van. Right. But you can see all of that on our website and when you take a look at the history of the Wiseman camping experience. When I think of people we've met that we've talked about this kind of thing with, there are very few people I know that have been in so many different kinds of vehicles. Uh -huh. Possibly that's because we're so old. Yeah, having <laughs> RV'd for 40 years, yeah. 
So when, when people ask us questions about what's the advantages of each one, I feel like I really have lived through them all. And, and of course, and destinations, speak, too, now that we from have des- from, from experience. We have RV'd in uh, several countries, and we have RV'd in several vehicles. And, of course, we've been to all 50 states no. and RV'd in 48, yeah, 49. 49. So it, it is uh, a pleasure for us to share with you, and we respond to your questions as often as we possibly can. And help you have a better RVing experience. That's our goal. Well, we're glad that people can travel vicariously with us until they have enough time to do it themselves. But occasionally there are slip-ups and problems. And I suspect that as our motorhome Mm, gets ever older, we're going to have more of these slip-ups and problems. Unfortunately or fortunately, we like our current motorhome very much and haven't found anything newer that appeals to us nearly as much. Probably partly because we have made it our own and renovated things that we didn't like and changed it around to have it be the perfect Ken and Martha mobile. And you have been kept up, dear listeners, with every step of the way. But... Occasionally we have a, a little problem, and this has kind of been kind of an ongoing problem, really, because uh, we had a problem with the parking brake. Now, on a diesel pusher, you have a parking brake valve, and that when you stop, there is no park in the transmission. The transmission has only forward, neutral, and reverse. It's not like a car. And if you leave it in in any gear and turn off the engine the coach will roll so you have a parking brake which is literally the brakes they don't use the transmission for holding the vehicle once it's been parked and i have a valve and because we have air brakes you have this valve and you release the air in the system and the brakes are applied and that's so that in an emergency, if you lose your air pressure you will stop fairly quickly uh, as a safety factor Otherwise, if you pressed on the brake pedal, there would be no brakes. Brakes. So, we are at the local. This is unbelievable. At the local, I w- we were looking at the at the fuel prices, and it had gone down. So I decided to take it over and fill it up at a local gas station, and then bring it home. And we were going to wash it and clean it up and get it ready to go again. And so here I am at the gas station. I pull up, put the brake on, get out, fill it up. Get into the RV, and what happens? The parking brake will not release. Which was the same thing that happened Happened in in Utah. In St. George, Utah, right. And what did we do there? Well, we were there in a... In the oh, that's we right. In the, in the, in the blocking campground. the middle of the campground. Well, oh, you yeah. were blocking the gas station. Yeah, well, one it, of the pumps at the gas station. When you're 40 feet long, you're always going to be in the way when you can't get out of the way. Exactly. So, what do we do? We call Good Sam, and boy, if you don't have Good Sam. You better get it. And it was um, the Fourth of July weekend, oh, which that's I right. thought, oh, uh, it was on Saturday, but <laughs> yeah. it was yeah, everything was open, but it was but it was on the Fourth of July weekend. Call Good Sam, and they go through the routine again, which we're now familiar with. They, are you in a good place? Do we need to call the police? Are you safe? And uh, all of those questions were fine because we were at a gas pump, <laughs> a gas four, station, four miles from our house. And she says, uh, "Are you at such and such a location?" I said, "Yes," because they knew. And she said, "Are you in your?" 2004 Dutch Star. Yes, I am. And she knew all the information. I didn't have to give her the VIN number, the license plate, or location, or anything. Because you put it all in the app already. Because I put it in the, the app already. All I had to do is just push the button. And this is another thing about that's happened since 2006, I think. Of course, smartphones are just a huge benefit to RVers, but 
having a cell phone period mm-hmm. is just a real convenience yeah. you know and this and having a smart cell phone is even better because it had all this information in it but you know what would you do if you didn't have a cell phone you do have to go to a pay phone as we did when our well, <laughs> travel trailer was wrecked. going anywhere well, I would have to walk, yeah, yeah, yeah. or if you had bikes or something. So right. this is a real plus. All I mean, for me, it was no, I didn't have to do anything. Just press the button. She says, well, you know, what's the problem? And we'll find you somebody to fix it. Okay, so she calls me back in 10 minutes and says, we found somebody, and they will be there within the next 45 minutes. And They were. They were. And now th- this is another interesting factor. You know, we often talk about whether the benefits of the diesel pusher and gas and the pros and cons pros and cons of fifth wheels and all that sort of stuff but i think one this is a subtle thing that that has reared its head here that i hadn't even thought about that truckers because they are on the road constantly and they have to stay on the road and it's very expensive to tow for trucks there are mobile repair facilities and so this guy comes to the gas station, and I, I didn't have to talk to him. I mean, this is cool. They, they knew exactly where I was. The guy comes to the gas station, and he has a van that has a welder, a air pump, a it has all and, and tons of equipment and, and all sorts of stuff to fix trucks. Broken down along the side of the road. Exactly. Because you do not want to tow a truck. Whereas if you were in a car or a pickup truck, they would tow you mm-hmm. to someplace. And they were not about to tow me. So this guy comes and he has all the equipment and he spends a few minutes diagnosing the problem. And last time, you'll remember, that we thought we had it fixed when they replaced the valve that's on the dash, the thing that I interface with. But apparently that wasn't the real underlying cause. Low air pressure was getting to this valve, and that was what was causing it to trip, not uh, the valve itself. Probably our old valve was okay, but this valve was less sensitive or to it was more sensitive pr- to low air pressure, so it worked. Anyway, so that over the time since we've, you know, the six or eight since weeks we since, since we left Utah, and the underlying problem it reared its head, and that we have another diverter valve gizmo gadget. And so this guy says, oh, we, if you replace this, it's probably okay, and we, we replace the stuff on the back. And so he says, well, the only thing left is this other diverter valve thingamajigger. And he... <laughs> This is also very cool. I put the jacks down and lifted the front wheels off the ground. And the jacks worked. Yay! <laughs> that was the first time since Moscow <laughs> I had a chance to try it. <laughs> okay. One problem at a time. Oh, that's true. They did work, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> the last time they weren't working either when we broke oh, down in Utah. Oh, yeah. That's, yes, you're... Oh, yes, that's right. Oh, that's right. Cause we, oh, because we were rolling there. We had to put chocks under the yeah, wheels so yeah. that we couldn't, wouldn't roll. Because we didn't have brakes. So I brought the wheels up so the guy could crawl under the vehicle, and he's unbolts this thing, brings it out, and says, hmm, there's no way we're going to get one of these on a Saturday afternoon because there's no parts stores. He says, so I'm going to have to take it apart and rebuild it. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, this guy was familiar with air brake systems. He had the parts. He had the stuff with him to do this. So... 
uh, WD-40 can later and uh, some grunting and groaning over the uh, screws, the nuts that were in this thing. He takes it apart, cleans it up. It had a diaphragm in it that was... Uh, Gookie? Gookie, to say the least. He says, well, this should take care of it. Puts it back together, goes back under, bolts it in, puts the, the, hose, the air hoses on it, and voila, it's working. Yeah, that is really amazing. And while he was working, I, you know, I was I, thinking, even though we are close to our home in yes. an area that we are very familiar with, exactly. I still I would have no had no idea. way to, to know who to call, who would know what to do as quickly and expeditiously as this guy did. And they might not have done it on for you, you know, as just a private individual, but because they have a contract with, with Good, Good Sam, Sam, I assume that they get a fair amount of business in this area. I don't know, but uh, it, it is very uh, heartening to know that this kind of service is available and that I didn't have to do anything. Especially, and, and he only charged us $130. Especially as we and our rig are aging together, yeah. it gives me peace of mind to know that we can get help to get moving again. If anything on the chassis goes wrong, yeah, and the engine and that sort of stuff. If so the slides that, had yeah, worked, yeah, if it was well, they would fix that stuff. But I think it would be a different kind of setup. Fix it, I don't guy. know. Yeah. So maybe you could, you folks out there, could give us uh, your take on this if you've had to use Good Sam uh, to fix the RV components, it's like a slide. I mean, that that could be something that might not come out. Okay, so that was a a good experience. A good bad experience. A good bad experience. <laughs> and now. Now we watch my husband move into his... This, is, this show is partly tech, right? Move into his second childhood. <laughs> um, from my perspective, oh, that, this this oh, all began that, that. last winter when we were in Arizona. We've talked about area, helicopters. And all these other geezer guys I'm had helicopters. And he got the bee in his bonnet that he wanted a helicopter that and he I could put a, a camera under bought, and I take did. aerial photographs. But we started with fairly affordable rigs. No, they, they well, was that not, a good idea? They did not work very well. They were very vulnerable. They were standard-looking helicopters. To the wind. They crashed all the time. And so when we came home, one of our good neighbors had built a quad copter, copter from scratch. His background was in rotors, engineering. One at each corner. And he allowed Ken to learn how to fly, fly it Ooh. right along with him. Um, I heard in <laughs> later stories about landings on the roofs, <laughs> getting ladders and climbing on our neighbor's houses. Luckily, everybody here knows what they're dealing with when Ken comes by. And at this point, he is the proud owner of a brand new DJI. DJI. DJI Phantom. Phantom, which is a quadcopter run, it's an electric quadcopter running on batteries, needless to say. And he has mounted the little GoPro camera, which we already owned underneath. And it flies, <laughs> which we bought for the last helicopter. <laughs> it flies very easily with that mounted below it, and you can take stills and video depending yep. on how you set it. And it offers a very this, unique perspective on our familiar If you're interested, you know, in, in getting unique pictures, this is the way to go. The GoPro <laughs> takes fabulous pictures, as I think I've mentioned before. We've taken quite a few pictures, and I tried to put it on my helicopter, and I would get out of a flight of 10 or 15 minutes, i get one or two pictures because it was just so unstable, and it would not ever fly in the wind. I had to wait for absolutely <laughs> calm days, and I could not control it very well, so it would frequently 
recently, <laughs> as I think I mentioned, it crash into, we crashed into a couple of RVs. Didn't cause any damage to the RVs, of course, because it's just a little plastic helicopter, but uh, it didn't sustain. Well, I'm on my th- second helicopter. So if anyone would like a used helicopter, slightly, slightly cleaned up. <laughs> But if you're into tech, and well, this is cool because my neighbor is building his as kind of a technology exercise. Uh, he bought all the components and he's programming itself. It's got uh, open source uh, hardware, open source software that you put into it. Um, but and they're actually very sophisticated. Now me. Uh, after watching him kind of struggle with his outfit and uh, watching it fly, I decided to go, to go with a complete, ready-to-fly uh, outfit from DJ, DJI, and it's called the Phantom. It's about uh, 19 inches square with a 7-inch rotor on each of the four corners. You're going to put a picture on the website. Oh, yeah. yeah. But in case you just want to kind of visualize this. And... It has a GoPro mount underneath, so it's actually designed with the GoPro in mind. And it's, it's, it's very easy to fly. Even the co-pilot could fly it. I don't dare. Why? Well, if I crashed it, what, you it wouldn't would be crash all it. Over. No, you wouldn't have... You, it's not... You wouldn't crash it. And because it has uh, all these sensors, it has a GPS built in, it has an accelerometer, compass and something else built into it. All of those sensors and a very sophisticated processor, it flies very easily. What's and its range? 1,000 feet with the current setup. What does that mean? <laughs> ka-ching, ka-ching. Ka-ching. <laughs> oh, yes. This is, a, this is a hobby which could get to be fairly expensive, but right now it's, it's okay. And, of course, the cool thing is, is that you now can fly and take pictures, and I can actually locate it and, and put it where I want to. And I've been amazed that it flies in virtually any weather. Even and in the Windy City. Even in the Windy City, it flies very well. And because it has the GPS, you just take your fingers off the sticks. Of course, it has a remote control. You take your fingers off the sticks, and it just stays right where it was. So that if you get in trouble and you are... You mean it hovers where it Yeah, was? it just stays right... It just stops. It doesn't come back to you when you take your finger off the stick. No, but it would... Uh, I can have it come back to me automatically if I want to. And how long can you fly? As long as your battery lasts. Which is... <laughs> Ka-ching, ka-ching. Now we have to buy more batteries. It uses a new kind of battery called a LiPo. Which, which bursts like... into flame and has burned down people's garages. <laughs> I'll go over, the, it is now over here on the my... sofa. I have, I have my, you saw my asbestos bags. Yes. They recommend that you put your batteries in But you had your asbestos. batteries sitting in my new kitchen counters, ready no, to burn down I'm, my I'm kitchen. I'm confident that they're, that they're not going to burn down. Uh, so these are called LiPo batteries, and this is something that you might want to consider knowing a little bit more about as RVers even, because, uh, you know, I saw, and we've talked about uh, putting lithium-ion batteries into your RV um, because they're lighter and have much more capacity. And we even talked to Ron Jones, who actually has them in as a test, and uh, I think they're going to become quite widely available. And all the hybrid cars have lithium-ions in them. But these are LiPos, lithium-polymer. 
and they are dramatically more powerful, and this is what makes these copters possible. And rather than having gasoline engines, you could never have four gasoline engines that would uh, synchronize like this. It would just be impossible. And that's the real cool thing about this is, is that all four engines are synchronized, and the the brains of the thing is constantly adjusting the propeller speed so that it stays right where it's supposed to be and flies just like it's it's expected to fly. So these LiPo batteries, though, I get a big 10 minutes of flight time. Oh, I thought it was 20. Oh, no. Only 10. 10 maximum. Oh. And, you know, it depends on how much flying you do. If you take it up to 1,000 feet... It and, comes right back down again. Well, no, but but it depends on how much zipping back and forth. Of course, the props are always running. All four of them are always running. But it depends on how much zipping around you do, I guess. And But pretty much 8 to 10 minutes is about the kind of flight time, which I found is actually pretty good for doing most things. If the batteries uh, get low, it automatically comes back and lands which is uh, good to know. But this is a ready-to-fly unit, and you just put your GoPro... It doesn't come with the GoPro, so you put your GoPro underneath it, set the GoPro for whatever you want to take your pictures at, and away you go, up and running. So now when you're camped at a campground near us... We can take your picture (laughs) from here, and that's what I want to do. We'll be peeping in your window. Peeping at people's windows. Well, that's what people... Well, with the GoPro, you can hardly... It's such a wide-angle lens, you can hardly even see people's faces anyway. So it's not a peeping Tom device, but what it is is a a device for for us to take pictures uh, that you don't ordinarily see. Of aerial views. Aerial views. And... I would suggest if you want to take a look and see some great pictures that you go to YouTube and type in either quadcopter or type in DJI Phantom and see what people have taken. I mean, there's a guy who took pictures over the Grand Canyon. We saw people the taking Eiffel pictures Tower. the Eiffel Tower and in Germany, they uh, in Vienna. And that one through the parking garage in through Australia? Through the parking garage in Australia. People are using them all over the world. Yes, it's it's very cool, and this is a uh, quite a popular sport. And you might want to take a look at it and consider it for yourself. Australia, tons of people doing it down there. I'll put up a few pictures. I've flown it probably a dozen times now. And you haven't crashed? I haven't crashed. I, it has a little bit of green on it. Grass? Grass stains? No. Oh, what did you hit? Trees. Oh, so leaves. Leaves. Uh-huh. Yeah. I had to go get a ladder to get it out of a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the Peanuts character who always just looks stuck up in the tree? Well, it, it, it's going to be fun. And I'm going to be taking it, of course, on all of our RV trips so that we will be having landscape, beautiful pictures from all over the United States. I can put some on my blog. Oh, absolutely. That'll be cool. Anytime you want to see your RV from 1,000 feet in the air... This is the or any picturesque spot, right? Because a... you can zip out over lakes and that sort of stuff. And you, if you, I'm serious about going to YouTube and taking a look at some of the pictures. We looked at uh, some from Russia where the guy was out over the Volga River and was zipping down down the river. And what they really have, should we talk about the next steps? What next steps? <laughs> okay, we'll move on. Uh, listener feedback. Hardly anybody has said whether they like our new mic or not, but maybe that's good. Yes, maybe they don't even notice. How's the sound? Right now it's on kind of a bad platform, so I think we're going to have to fix that. Last time I had it on a mic stand. Oh. The sound should be better with our new Blue Yeti. It makes me feel more like I'm really doing something serious to have a a microphone that looks a little like 
yeah. what people use on TV. Or... So you're a real podcaster. Yeah, now. right. She's really in for it. <laughs> She's a professional, ladies and gentlemen. She's not going to just be an amateur with a little tiny lavalier. Right. Well, we had a nice uh, email from our friend uh, Wayne Schubert in Australia, and Wayne took kind of offense at a couple of things we said in our last podcast. Uh, we are very sorry that we missed Wayne when he was visiting here in the United States. He spent 17 days in the United in RVs in the United States and several weeks in the United States overall. And he was going to stop by Chicago to see us, but we were out of town, and we are disappointed that we didn't get to see them and maybe we'll head to australia sometime in the not distant future to see him there but he was commenting that not everybody can see things in detail like we do when we travel and that's true and, and we, we certainly understand that because we were kind of being i guess it sounded critical when we said how could you go out to the united to the western united states and only spend 17 days because 17 days is all, all that you, you have when and, you're a working person and, the and, thing, and I, certainly I, I, australians have more time to do this than americans yeah have. he has a lot more time to do this and we were not being critical by any means what i wanted to say was is that we have visited places in the united states and in other parts of the world and well we thought it was fairly thorough at the time you know you go out and we spent you know, a couple of weeks out in the West or visiting Yellowstone and some of the national parks. And we thought, whoa, you know, we've already seen it. And now we go back as retired old folks and with enough time to spend, and we go to those same places and we see so much more. And the phenomenon that keeps happening to me as the planner is that I think, well, we can spend three days in that place, four days in that place. And then as soon as we get somewhere, you discover so many more things to see and do in that area than you were even aware of. And you need the time to see places thoroughly and find that out. Yeah, and, and I'm sure exactly the same thing would happen to us in Australia. And that's why we didn't want to RV in Australia is because we knew we'd be just super frustrated because you start off, you know, you got two weeks and you're going to do the east coast of Australia and you say, oh, that's plenty of time. But then you get going. And now that we've done this, there's no other way to do it. Right. I mean, we just can't can't speed up. Right. And even so, in a relatively small country like New Zealand, where we spent close to five weeks, we ran out of time there, too. And that was very frustrating. Yes. yes exactly. Yes. So I guess a lot of people say, well, you know, how can you spend so much time traveling in the United States? And you know, haven't you seen it all? Or, you know, isn't it boring to go back to these places? And, you know, what do you do? And, boy, that's just not the case with us at all. And certainly everybody we know who full-times has the same feeling that there's always so, something else to see over the next bend. So we always say spend as much time as you possibly can, and but don't try to do too much. And, you know, seeing all of the United States in a month is just crazy fast. But we're see. lucky that we have the time, and we do appreciate Indeed. it. So next topic. How many miles are too many miles for a used motorhome? Yeah, something we might want um, Something question. that we asked ourselves when we yeah. bought our motorhome. At 18,000 miles, which we knew wasn't too many. And and I would say, even though our vehicle was a cherry in terms of light mm -hmm. usage, even that was a bit of a disadvantage in that things were so lightly used that yes. in some cases they did not open or work or had gotten kind of 
jammed up and stuck. So there's a happy medium there, well, and I, the mileage on the odometer is only a hint. Well, exactly, and it doesn't tell you how it was taken care of. And in our case, I mean, I consider our, our motorhome at 75,000 miles to be in perfect condition, and I would not hesitate to drive it as far as we want to drive it, as obviously we did last summer when we took it 10,000 miles. It's got a chassis and an engine and things that are good for a million miles, as is proven every day on the roads with trucks, so that... The chassis should be good for that kind of distance. And as long as you keep up the inside, I don't see really much problem with it. A real issue is how well has that vehicle been maintained. And there are hints that you can see using your nose, for one thing. Uh Um, Do you smell mildew smell when you come in the door? Because that tells you that something leaked somewhere. Is the carpet clean? Are the cabinets, when you open and close them and pull out the drawers, do they function in a smooth way? Checking the fluids. Things do wear out over time, but if they're well taken care, of and repaired, then it's a good vehicle, even if it's got a lot of miles on it. And we're about to, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going to Spartan, and we're going to make a fabulous stop at Charlotte, Michigan, where we will have it gone over to check over and for any problems that we don't notice, and probably spend a few bucks there getting things done that we didn't know needed to be fixed, like last year when we had our gas tank fixed. This topic makes me think of a show we mentioned to you once before, but have been spending some time watching episodes of, and that's the Brett Michaels show <laughs> where he um, oh. totally remakes somebody's extremely old, worn-out RV into a new one, to the point where I sometimes wonder, is there anything left of the old one, or was it even worth redoing the old yeah. one because they're in such bad shape? The one we watched last week, he pulled tons of rust rust out from behind the dashboard and you can tell just by looking at those vehicles that need some work so smell inside the refrigerator you know take a look at uh, at the engine compartment you know look at the repair records and the maintenance records but i don't consider rvs to be it's, it would be hard to have too many miles in an RV it's because not people like just don't. A car. People just don't drive them that much. I mean, here ours is almost ten years old with seventy-five thousand miles on it, and we drive it. I think a fair amount. Well, it's been and, to Alaska, and our maintenance schedule is based on time, not distance, because our oil change is twenty thousand miles, and we rarely put twenty thousand miles on it. And they say the brakes are 150,000 miles, so, you know, that sort of stuff is just not going to go bad in the lifetime that we're going to have of this vehicle for us. So, should you buy a used one? Can you look for pre-owned ones? I would look for them definitely, and because you can save yourself big bucks. And would you buy one through Craigslist? (laughs) It's interesting. Shopping for a used RV can be an exercise in your patience quotient, and that's exactly true, and that was the case with us looking for a used Many RV shoppers have a list of just what they're looking for in high hopes they'll find it in a hurry. But talk with any group of experienced RVers, and you'll find that most looked for quite a while and probably drove more than a few miles to find what they were looking for. So that's exactly right. If you're going to buy a used one, be prepared to wait and and be prepared to look around. We look for five or six months and in our case uh the one we bought was one of the first <laughs> the ones we first saw one gave but, us the idea but we wanted to make sure that it was the one we really wanted so would you buy it off of craigslist and i have bought and sold several things off of craigslist and been very Did happy we sell our montana on craigslist no it was oh. an rv no, i think it was an, it RV, was an rv we had our friends sell their monaco motor class a motorhome to a guy in 
in Canada, Canada through the web. So there were unseen. So there were international issues. So these, yeah, different kinds of dollars, different kinds of titling. Um, but and the possible. money transfer was interesting. You know, don't carry a wad of cash with you. They did it through a wire transfer, right. and they verified it with the bank before they signed the title, and it worked out very well, as far as I could tell. Everybody was happy with the transaction. Craigslist, ooh, we love Craigslist. It's free. Yeah, Bose. What the heck? As long as you go through the proper procedure and make sure that it's a, it's a viable. Because you find shysters on there, too. Yes, you do find lots of shysters. And every once in a while, you read about somebody who really gets gets stung. If you check on our website, there we have an article about some tips to think about before you buy uh, an RV on Craigslist. Next article. We're going to be going on a trip pretty soon. And because we can only keep our motorhome next to our house for 24 hours, we like to get as ready as we can ahead of time, yep. which makes me wonder how long we can keep fresh water in the tank can we drink the water that we put in it from our last trip absolutely you know we just bought uh, a water purification system a reverse osmosis for our home for our home well we've used it in the rv quite a lot too and interestingly enough we have a water checker it said that our water coming out of the tap had 480 parts per million of um, junk in it <laughs> as it comes out of the tap and it looks pure, perfectly clean and pure I but mean, you'd never notice it. But I can taste but it. But you could taste it. And the EPA's maximum is 500. So our community gets a pass, barely. Barely. And then we put the the RO system on it, and it's down to 28. Now, my thinking is that if you're going to keep fresh water in your tank, if you put in 28 ppm, parts per million, <gasps> that it probably will last a long time. Whereas if you put in... Yeah, but from... A hose, you're not going to get osmosis water. Yeah, that's one water. of the issues. We have never had any trouble. No. And I keep it in there for months. And it um, doesn't mildew? And I don't drain or, the water. And you don't put bleach in? Well, no, I do once in a while. Mm-hmm. Once a year, I do flush it out and put uh, a, a small quantity of bleach into purge the system. Just in case. Usually after I winterize it. Or before, after, yes, after I after s- you, springinize it. <laughs> after you unwinterize <laughs> it. So... Can you keep this water in there? I don't think you have to worry about bugs so much. I, 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 I think it's pretty clean. You can put, you mm-hmm. can, yes, you can keep water in your tank all the time. So you can leave and at a moment's notice. And I always think that if we have some sort of a natural disaster, then I have 100 gallons of water that I can bring yeah, up to my but, house yeah. and, and a generator and keep myself going. I don't know. That's in these of days of climate change, things happen. <gasps> One question we get rather incessantly as we are RV is, what on earth do you do with your mail? <laughs> and, and we've talked about this before. Yeah, but everybody asks this. That's the first question they ask you. And of course, these days, we get almost no mail. Yeah. Everything is email or electronically. But there is a new service that's available that's called Post-Scan Mail. And this is something we haven't tried, but it sounds like a good idea. We have Escapee's uh, mail service, and we pay around numbers $100 a year for them to receive our mail and to remail it to us wherever we happen to be. And sometimes that's once a week, and sometimes it's longer than that. It depends. Right. And we have to mail it to us even at home here because we have some stuff like magazines and things that go directly to them 
all the time. time. We have actually visited Scapy's mail service, and it's a very good service, and they're very flexible in terms of uh, when they send it. and Very reliable. Yes. It always makes take... me nervous at tax time, and they have never lost a thing. And they will always uh, send you boxes if you want to, if you have UPS, drop it off with them. They'll they'll resend those to you wherever you are, and they will send it overnight if you want to, if you want to pay for it. Of course, you pay for the postage in addition to the yearly fee. But post scan mail does more than escapees. Right. Um, and I think some other services do this too. But this service basically lets you see your mail almost instantly because they scan, scan it. it. They scan the, the way I saw the way I read it, is they scan the envelopes, the front of the envelopes, and then you can see those and then you decide what you want done with each piece of mail that you receive and they even deposit checks for you in the bank if you tell them that tell them where to put them and so that you say i want to please open this scan it and let me read the whole thing so if it's something personal or something a bank statement or something they will securely scan it and and send it to you electronically so it's kind of a combination of of email and snail mail Mm -hmm. which Escapees will read you mail on the phone. But oh, yeah? We've never yeah, done that. Well, if you have something that's very timely that you need to have, mm-hmm. and, they, and they'll send you the mail, but they won't scan it, I don't think. But I think other services do scan. So this must be more expensive. I don't know yeah, how expensive this is, but if you're looking for a service that does this sort of thing, uh, plus the fact that they give you a real live address for sending, which uh-huh. is Escapees does too, because uh-huh. we have a second address that we can have things sent to. And the idea of depositing checks for you is less appealing to me mm. than it used to be because the bank <laughs> we work with the has Chase. an app on our phone and we can take a picture of a check and deposit it electronically. Oh, isn't that cool? Unless it's too big of a check. Carving has just become too easy. <laughs> yeah. These people just don't know. How it used to be. <laughs> Sounds like, like the Xfinity ad yeah. with the kids who... Yeah, are complaining about two years ago. So we're also glad to see that RV values unexpectedly rise at auctions in the recent past. So this is another article. Both motorhomes and towables went up in value at auction this past month, which is the opposite of what we expected them to do. One was up significantly, while the other rose just a little bit. Motorhomes came in at an average selling price at auction of $40,978, which is an impressive $1,632 more than last month's average. Towables, travel trailers, fifth wheels, and camping trailers rose from 11381 to a modest, <laughs> modest increase of $16, 1%. But I think, you know, this is one of those things that's, that we're going to be seeing. Not only are the repos gone, and all of the FEMA trailers gone. Yeah, that's right. But I think that the popularity of RVing is is increasing, and that we're going to see more and more price increases. And so that if you're, and plus the fact that, of course, I think demand is high because interest rates are going up. Right. You know, I talked to somebody the other day who got a a loan on their motorhome for four and a quarter percent. Wow. Which is really, really good. good. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, well worth considering. If you're going to be buying a motorhome, buying it now. Get on the road. Retire. Stimulate the economy. Oh, I hope people can retire. Yeah. If you have to wait until you're 67, I would just be retired this year. For anyone driving a large, heavy vehicle like ours, 
there is a new service, a new book that you can buy, an attempt to make mountain driving a little safer for truckers and RVers. This company has been collecting information about mountain passes and steep grades since 1993. The mountain directory gives the locations, descriptions of over 700 mountain passes and steep grades in 22 states. And we have been suddenly come upon some steep grades that I was a little nervous about. I was wondering if our Rand McNally GPS doesn't have that information, does it? This is printed information. Well, they could put it as part of the routing. I think it says there might be a dangerous road ahead, but it doesn't tell you. Because when I think back as the navigator, especially before our GPS days, I sent you down some totally inappropriate roads at times. I assume it wouldn't do that. Uh-huh. And, and you know, this is for truckers and, and RVers who naturally are going to go on these roads. These are not the, the small winding passes, but the big roads. But you want to be prepared, and you want to know about uh, the upcoming roads so that you can know where, how fast to go and, and what kind of grade you're gonna, you can expect. And one of the things this book pointed out was that your mind tells you that the steepest roads are in the western part of the U.S. because the mountains are taller there, but it's not really a function of how tall the mountains are. It's a function of how steep the road is, and that most of our steepest roads, I was surprised to read, are in the east. Uh-huh. And so it warns you um, the grade may not be as long, but if it's Deep um, and it's a hot day. Right, your engine could right. and that's, overheat, and that's or one of the you're I coming down and your brakes could overheat. Well, and you, your engine could overheat on the way up, so you might want to go in the cool of the morning rather than planning it at the end of the day or the hottest part of the day. It's so, dangerous. This book has some definite has some definite value, and I haven't heard of it before. So um, it's called MountainDirectory.com. You might want to take a look at that if you're especially going to be driving long distances that, over mountainous roads. So that would be something worth taking a look at. Of course, we do want to mention that all of the links to everything that we're talking about are available on our website. On our website for this month, August of 2013. You can contact us at navigator at rvnavigator.com. We always like email. And we don't get enough of it. Well, yeah, we get we get enough email, but we always like to hear from you. So please send us an email. Tips for buying LED lights. Now, I have been gradually switching the lights over in our motorhome to LEDs. But they're expensive. That's the problem. Uh, a couple months ago, we talked about the hit lights that we got from Amazon, the 13-foot lights, drip lights, that you can cut up and put into various areas. But the other lights, like to put into your out exterior lights or to put into the overhead lights and like we when we replace the fluorescent light the regular fixture lights. 40 bucks for the for the led equivalent so what they suggest here is is that there's a lot of um fingers in the pie by the time you as an rv or buy an rv light for your motorhome between when they were manufactured in china and when you finally buy them from an rv distributor exactly so you're better off going to ebay and actually buying the bulbs directly from hong kong or someplace overseas now this may seem strange but after having now dealt with this quadcopter business where everything comes from China and literally it's shipped from China and you buy it from a company in Hong Kong if you want to get the best prices, we see that it actually works and that packages come from Hong Kong and I mean, it take, you want to leave a little, little bit more lead time, but they do come from China or from Hong Kong and it will arrive in your mailbox uh, without any problem. And you can save yourself a considerable amount. I'm talking about maybe 10 cents on the dollar. Wow. 
so that you can save yourself a huge amount. And I'm about to try this myself. And this article talks about uh, this gentleman who has recommends this and gives you some tips. That link, of course, will be on our website if you want to take a look at that too. And he also has a YouTube explanation about replacing some of your bulbs How to because do i would like to do it but i'm not going to spend 35 and 40 bucks per bulb to put in uh, leds in my motorhome and i'd like to replace the outside ones too mm-hmm. and i'm sure you'd like to have me do that sure keeps you out of trouble <laughs> the last article is about to rear its head we're always looking for helicopters for flying but this is you a personal transportation device this company is developing a... Think Jetsons. Think Jetsons. When we were kids, we would watch that cartoon, and it left us with the impression that at this stage in our lives, we would all have our <laughs> own personal flying craft, and we'd be zipping around. Oh, that's exactly right. That's exactly what this is. This is a company who's developing that thing, and they've actually got prototypes that are flying. I don't know exactly how they power them, but this is a very strange-looking device. E-N-T-E-C-H-O dot com and Teco and take a look at their YouTube because it uh, tells you, shows you what they're they're thinking of. So I can see me in the RV with one of these lashed to the top when we get to the campground. Oh and I, my. I get to take my own helicopter pictures. You can just fly to the, hel- to the campground. Ooh, I don't think it has that kind of distance capabilities, oh. but certainly we could fly to the grocery store. And you can have one and you can fly too. Okay. The co-pilot is always reluctant. Slightly dubious. Slightly dubious about these wonderful technological revolutions. Well, in the upcoming months, ladies and gentlemen, we leave on August 11th for a a month-long RV adventure. So we might see you in a campground near us. Yeah, it's possible. She's she's looking dubious. No. I'm just thinking about this next trip and all the places we're going. And a lot of it is to keep, get things fixed and to visit people, visit people, and to to kind of not our usual plop down and investigate tie up one some place. loose ends that we haven't had uh, that have been out there for a while. We'll be going to Elkhart, my favorite city in the universe, to get my Splendid repaired. Ooh, yes, we'll have a full report on that next month. Prepare as we... for another rant and rave. <laughs> a little R from the lady. <laughs> oh, she's been on the phone. So how's your life, your RVing life, dear listener? We want to hear from you, so send us an email, and we will see you on the 101th episode. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye for now, and see you next month in a campground near us.